Hey everyone, this is the preview for the next installment of our Unions uh, in the Military series where we look at the history of Union activity and resistance generally in the 1970s. This is where we actually go over when AFGE had considered actually organizing the military here in the United States. So if you want the full thing, become a patron at patreon.com slash workstoppage. It's the only way that we get any money for doing all of this work, and we really, really appreciate it. Otherwise, you can jump in the Discord and message one of the admins if you cannot afford to become a patron, and we will hook you up with the feed. But otherwise, I will let you enjoy this preview. Solidarity. And adding fuel to the fire of the reaction, the Washington Post's Post announced on December 9th of 1976 that AFG was set and ready to go with their organizing campaign, which was largely untrue as they hadn't really even gotten any organizers ready for the project yet. And it's just like, so middle of 1976, they say, all right, you know, we should, we'll, we'll make it so that it's not restricted in our bylaws from organizing the military. The Washington Post says a couple of months later, they have an entire campaign ready. Just absolutely with what information? Probably none. Uh, Damn. Like fake leaked information. Yeah. Major American media being dishonest about a union organizing campaign. Yeah. <laughs> Russia blew up the Nord Stream. <laughs> of course they did yeah and i mean a subsidiary a subsidiary the Gulf of the Tonkin post. incident actually occurred right <laughs> i still fucking remember the Maine and the lusitania <laughs> <laughs> and and a, a subsidiary of the post the trenton times also reported that they had already begun recruiting around the fort dix uh, base and were coordinating with the Enlisted People's Organizing Committee, the closest thing to an actual internal union in the military, which was also false. But the the damage at this point was done, and instead of like going, instead of using this coverage to kind of ignite the organizing, AFGE leadership actually just tabled the issue until March of 1977. They were just like, uh, you know, we cannot face this sort of backlash. Yeah, I mean, this whole thing, especially the way the coverage around it keeps undercutting what the AFG is trying to do. I'm just like, I don't know, the whole thing, it's it's it reads to me like a very classic consent manufacturing campaign by the ISA to basically be like, somebody in you know the ruling class found out about this organizing campaign and they're like, we got to nip this shit in the bud. But the problem is there's a lot of people that don't trust the government right now for a lot of very good reasons. So we're going to need to build up public support for making it so this can never happen. So let's do everything we can to undermine this campaign in a big way, you know, again, to, to fearmonger about this is to exaggerate what the AFG is doing and be like, they're about to organize the whole military and they're going to go on strike and we're going to get invaded by the communists. <laughs> like, I'm sure, like, again, if if what had not, what actually happens afterwards hadn't happened, that would have been the next step in the, the hyperbole thrown out there by all the, the different media. Yeah, definitely. I mean, and because obviously by, you know, March of 1977, this is a couple of years, this is almost two whole years after like the first like announcements of even thinking about it. Uh, it was clearly just like too late at this point to really get going because the state had already begun the process of making it illegal for active duty soldiers to even join unions. 
there was a bill passed very easily by the Senate and then the House of Representatives that actually just ended up being signed in October of 1977. So while, you know, in March they were like, okay, we're about ready to really start this campaign, uh, like five months later, it was literally illegal. And I mean, seven months, but yeah. Um. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, seven months later is basically illegal. And, and I mean, the military at that point was actually already acting as though it had passed like before it had even been in, been signed in October and were basically aggressively squashing any organizing that was happening because there were still internal organizing efforts happening in the military. But since they were to be made illegal, the military somehow is able to mobilize and get the law, you know, in, in action so fast, which seems like a, an interesting way that the government worked, in my opinion, because so often these things pass and like, oh, we need six months or a year or two years to roll this sort of thing out. Whereas the actual repression around this happened before the bill was even being signed. Well, I think that's another parallel, though, that we see. That is actually a parallel, I think, that works with the the private sector because, I mean, how many times do we see companies just straight up lie about, like, labor rights? And it's like, because, I mean, probably the biggest one being how many employers tell you it's illegal to talk to your coworkers about how much you make? Like, every fucking boss says that shit, even though it's illegal to say that mm-hmm. because it a lot of people are going to hear that and just believe it and be afraid of it. And so even if you don't have the law on your side, if you're in a position of power, especially this level of power, it's easy to just be like, yeah, okay, the law isn't on my side, but we'll make sure it is when it counts. So just yeah. go ahead and do it before the law says that anyway. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Uh, the bill itself, though, made it so that active duty soldiers attempting to collectively bargain, collect dues, forward grievances, or change anything related to working conditions would face up to five years in prison and no less than a $25,000 fine. There were exceptions made for petitioning Congress, addressing grievances through proper channels, and for advocacy groups that provided legal counsel, but only if they were outside groups. Uh, This effectively ended any possibility that an above-board union would ever be able to organize anyone in the military, even though the law really only applied to active-duty soldiers. I also feel like it served as... And I don't know that this was necessarily its primary purpose, but it seems to me it's also an anti-whistleblower law because by specifically banning the forwarding of grievances in a collective manner, it's basically saying the only if if you're facing abuse or or like uh, you know problems in the in your workplace as a soldier, your only option is to complain through the chain of command, which is probably where the problem is coming from in the first place, uh, or now that petition Congress. And that, yeah, I'm sure that's going to fucking work. (laughs) Or file federal lawsuits. Right, again. They've carved out in in this rule, they're like, uh, actually, you are still allowed to do all of the stuff from before that doesn't work. So good luck with that. Yeah, well, because again, like, you know, we talk about one of the, what's one of the things that grad student unions, like, are always fighting for is a fair grievance procedure. Mm -hmm. Because they're told that if there's, you know, like a sexual harassment problem, they're like, oh, we have a a procedure for this. Uh, Go to, through your chain of command, which is your supervisor who's probably the person doing the (laughs) abusing. It's like, it's like a a grievance procedure, even in a non-revolutionary union, is so important. And it's like, by 
shutting off all avenues for reporting outside of the normal chain of command, this this bill not only crushes the uh, ability to organize, like you said, above board unions for active duty personnel, but also really for anyone to anybody who's a member of any of the the armed services to go to an outside group or even just collectively organize to try and, and not even to form a union, but just to be like this officer is abusive and is like hurting people. Yeah, no, that that that's definitely true. And I mean, it's probably a, one of the major reasons that there is such pervasive abuse in the military, because there are still no paths beyond the, quote, proper channels. And I mean, this law does still exist today. And there have been, but also there have been some like stirrings of non-active duty military personnel mm-hmm. showing interest in unionizing in, I believe, Texas and Massachusetts, but in Connecticut. Connecticut? Oh, For the National Guard. Yeah. Okay, it was Connecticut. I, you know, those East Coast states that blend together (laughs) in my mind a little bit. Um, But they, beyond like the initial articles represent, like that said that there was interest in it, there has been really no follow ups on that. And I searched really hard for any follow ups and there's just not really anything. Yeah. Like, at least I'm only, you know, aware of this peripherally, but I know that like, you know, because of this law, obviously we're not seeing any organizing within active duty. There have been recent, like you said, discussions about organizing members of the National Guard specifically. But and, and there was a recent Supreme Court case last year that said, yes, if you're in the National Guard, even if you're on deployment, if it's deployment in your state rather than like deployment to a foreign war zone then you can actually be part of a union. But I haven't actually seen, I don't think I've seen any of those drives actually succeed yet. It's like more of just like an abstract question. Yeah, and I there was not like, uh, in those articles, I didn't think there was really like interviews with the soldiers necessarily. No. And like, there, it's not like there's a lot of information that would compel me to think that they are really strong movements that will come to fruition anytime soon. No, and I mean, the function of the National Guard is basically to be even more cops than the regular military, so. <laughs> mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Uh, and and so, uh, one, one last little detail on this. In, like, very American fashion, when the bill was passed, the soldiers were told that they were in the Army to defend democracy rather than practice it, which <laughs> is, of to me, just quintessential americanism yeah i mean that's the sort of thing i I mean you hear that all the time because people will be like uh because you'll hear like reactionaries will just be like hey you know we live in the freest country on earth and people be like well how come like 90 percent of people want this xyz policy more housing medicare for all these things but then nobody ever does it like ever like this is with every issue and then they'll just respond well we're a republic (laughs) as if that is like some brain genius gotcha and i'm like well first off that doesn't actually mean what you think it means second off what you've just said is yeah the government doesn't do what the people want and that's good because i don't like those policies (laughs) which is just like the most childish reactionary like way to look at things yeah i almost imagine a guy where you ask him it's like well if they're defending democracy supposedly why don't they get to practice it uh why don't they have the freedom to practice it and he'd be like well you know freedom isn't free Right. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. They it's have, always to, they have to pay for your freedom with theirs, and that's why yeah. you should give them a free burger when they come into your McDonald's on Veterans Day. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> All dressed in uniform, so fine. 
Through their lives and made it through the whole machine.